0: So when I was 21, I had this encounter with God, and some of you heard my my story, and I'm not going to go into my story today because uh, this really isn't about that, but I had this encounter with God when I was 21 years old that really messed my world up in a good way. I guess you could say that I was kind of like at the bottom of the barrel, like If you saw a pig trough or a hog trough, I was the slop. (laughs) I was probably that gooey little slime that lined the trough where the pig ate. I wasn't so much the slop, but that's the bottom point that I was at. I figured I had no other direction to turn to. I had nowhere else to go. And out of God's grace and out of his love and out of his mercy and his desire for mankind, he showed up in my world. And to be honest, I was one of those people that you would least expect God to show up to. Now you say now wait a minute, wait a minute. This is God. God loves everybody. Yeah, but let's let's kind of think for a minute. In our human minds, unfortunately, we categorize people. You say no, you don't you're not going there. <laughs> we put people on different levels in our minds. And when we do that, we automatically associate that with God, and we say, "Well, God sees people this way, in this category, in that category, in this category." But the reality is, is God sees us all on the same level because He loves us. And so, when we see people that give their hearts to Jesus, which I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning, when we see them give their hearts, we say, "Oh my goodness, I just I wouldn't expect that." And God says, "Why wouldn't you? I'm God." I'm going to ask that you join with us in the next couple of weeks as we journey through the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to join the journey with us as we look through the Scriptures and we begin to pull them apart and we actually look at the lives of those who encounter Jesus in an unexpected manner. The people that we would say in our hearts and in our minds, we would least expect that person to give their heart to Jesus. The Bible is full of those accounts. And so I'm asking that you join with us the next couple of weeks as we dig into those accounts and see how Jesus interrupted and changed the lives of those that, quote-unquote, we would least expect. So just probably less than a month ago, I went out to my mom's house, and uh, she had asked me to come out because she has really bad arthritis. Her arthritis is so bad that uh, her knuckles are very large and swollen, and they never, it never goes down. And so sometimes for her to grab things or lift things is very hard. So she needed some things done in the house, and so I said, I tell you what, I'll drive out on a Saturday. I'll come out and see you. I'll take some time, and I'll just do whatever we need, do some patchwork, Whatever. So Saturdays is usually my family day. It's like I try to like take everything out of my schedule as possible just so I can be home with my family. And so I said to my mom, definitely, but I need to be back in the afternoon, Mom. I, I got to get back home. I don't want to be away too long. Okay, no problem. So I get in my car after being at my mom's house, and I'm just driving down the road, and I'm just listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, this is how crazy God is, I see this vision of this little blonde haired woman. And she's sitting in this particular store. And the Lord begins to speak to me and he says, I want you to go to that store and I want you to walk in and I want you to tell her that the spirit of God has sent you here to teach her how to interpret dreams biblically. Now you have to understand the store that I was going to. It was a witchcraft store. So I start to argue with God, you know, because we never do that. But in my case, I just argue with God. And I'm like, well, God, but, you know, I really got to get home. You know, you want us to, you know, focus on our families. And I just, and the Lord just says, go there and tell her. So I get, I get down and I get to the main street and I know that just down the street on the right hand side, that store is going to be there. So then I make God a deal. Well, God, if there's an open sign I will stop by. So I start driving, and literally, from the light where I stopped, I could see this huge banner going from the top of the the overhang all the way to the ground, blowing in the wind. It says, Open. So I got a hold of some of my team members, because we have a team that, that we do this. So I just don't, just, you know, on the spur of the moment, go in and do these things. So I'm encouraging you, please don't just... You know, find somebody that you know who practices witchcraft or something like that, and go talk to them about these things. So we, I got a hold of some people, and I said, "Look, pray for me. I'm going in." And uh, I said, "I don't know what God's up to, but He's up to something." So I go in, and I walk around the store, and I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody at the cash register. So I give God a time limit. I'm like, "Okay, God, in three minutes, if I don't see anyone, I'm out of here." So like, I walk around. And I'm in there, and I'm just getting ready to walk out the door. And all of a sudden, I hear this, can I help you? <laughs> yeah. And I turn around, and somehow, I don't know how I missed her, but in this little cubby in the wall, like a little closet space that hasn't been used, was this chair, and there was this, guess what? Brown-haired woman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> blonde haired woman, little blonde haired woman with her laptop sitting there working. Oh God, you're up to something. So I start talking to her and I engage her with conversation and long story short, we start talking. I ask her how the churches treat her. So how do the churches respond to you guys? She says, oh, they come in and they throw Bibles at us and they'll throw scripture at us. They tell us we're going to hell and we're going to die and we're going to burn. And they ask if we do all kinds of evil things here. I said, how does that make you feel? She says, well, I just don't understand because if they love Jesus, Jesus said something totally different. "Hmm." So in the midst of that conversation, we got to talking and I I said, so what are you? What is it that you practice? She goes, well, I do a little bit of everything. I said, really? Well, explain that to me. She says, well, I'm a little bit a Christian. She says, I'm a little bit a Wiccan, meaning I practice witchcraft, and I'm a little bit a medium, which means I, I talk to the dead, and I'm a little bit of psychic, which means I hear things. And I said, really? I said, well, you know, this is pretty interesting because I said, the Spirit of God has sent me here today to give you a message because he showed you to me in a vision on my way here and her jaw drops. I said, the Lord wants you to know that I'm going to teach you how to interpret dreams biblically. And her eyes get really huge. And she says to me, I've always wanted to know how to do that. (laughs) And I said, well, that's fantastic because here's the deal. The spirit that I serve and worship created the one that you falsely follow. And I will prove that to you in such a way that my God is greater than yours because he's the one who created yours. And I said, I'm going to prove that to you. And I said, I will come back and I will interpret dreams. And what I want you to do is I want you to invite all of your friends. I want you to invite all your psychic friends. I want you to invite all your medium friends, all your friends that practice witchcraft, even your Christian friends and tell them that some people are going to come back who serve the Spirit of God, and they will interpret your dreams. She goes, I'm really interested in that. And I said, yeah, but here's the catch. I believe that the God that I serve is so much greater than the one that you serve that they're going to dream and dream and dream. But here's the deal. He's going to seal up those dreams so that your friends cannot interpret them. And the day that we arrive and we begin to speak to you, he will begin to unlock those dreams and transformation will begin to happen. And she goes, Well, how's that? And I said, It's kind of like this. I said, Have you ever heard of Frankenstein? She said, Yeah. I said, I don't believe in Frankenstein, but this is the best illustration for me to show you. I said, How is Frankenstein made? She goes, well, they take different pieces and the, the doctor puts them together and he becomes alive. I said, right, but what's Frankenstein missing? She said, I don't know. I said, he's missing a heart. And I said, you got to understand this, that the God that you serve and how you desire to hear the voice of God and interpret these dreams, they have no heart and no one's Transformed. But I tell you what, the God that we serve and when we interpret these dreams and we speak to you about what God is saying, there is heart behind it and transformation will begin to happen. She says to me, I really want to know more about this God. So I want you to bring back your team and I'm going to invite all my friends and I want you to share more of this with us. She's a woman that, you would least expect to have an encounter with God. But see, we don't have to go very far. We don't have to go to some store where they profess and proclaim and do witchcraft. We don't have to go there. We can go right to our place of work with the individual that we say, gosh, you know, they're the person that I would least expect who would give their heart to Jesus. We don't have to go very far. We can go on our college campuses and find that individual. We can go to high schools. We can go to our junior high schools. We can go to our places called our middle school. We can go anywhere. Even in the midst of our families, we can find those individuals that we would say Jesus would like, be likely to encounter them. I noticed that if we don't know Jesus... If he's not our friend or we don't proclaim to know who he is intimately, which I'm going to explain in a few minutes, we're looking for something. When I went in that day on that Saturday and I spoke with that woman, I could tell she was looking for something. Because she told me by, she's a little bit of Christian, a little bit of Wiccan, a little bit of this and this and this, I realized that somebody who puts all that together is looking for something. But what are we looking for? Compassion? trust, dependency? What about chances? What about the chances that we need just one more time? When we encounter Jesus, there is this incredible connection that takes place. First of all, he kisses us with his love. And he holds us with value. And he proves trust to us, but most of all, he gives us the chances that we are looking for the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth chance that we are in dire need of, that no one else is willing to give us. Our relationship with Jesus is about a journey of chances. See, our relationship, our journey with Christ is about my journey of chances. It's about your journey of chances. It's about the individual who does not know Jesus yet, It's about their chances. Now, some of you here today, you're saying, well, I've encountered Jesus. And I understand this whole thing of chances. Well, don't worry, I got a message for you. But then there's those of you who say, I've never encountered Jesus before. And gee, just like that woman, I have this inkling. I have this pulling. I have this desire to know more about this Jesus. But here's the hitch. I think I'm out of chances with him. Or if, 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 well, okay, I realize that I do wrong. But if you just give me a couple weeks to get cleaned up, I promise then I'll start coming to church because then Jesus will accept me. Or you may be saying, well, gosh, can he give me 10 chances? Because I'm on my ninth one. I have good news for you. Jesus has many chances for you, and I'm going to explain that shortly. But the other good news is this. He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's not waiting for you to get your act together, because according to the word of God, Jesus would come to us. Every single one of us that says, I know Jesus personally. He didn't come to us and say, get cleaned up, and then I will come and love you. He came and loved us first. And then we said, I want to get cleaned up. When we join the journey, we immediately find out that knowing Jesus requires inner change. I'm a firm believer that when you come to know Christ, and if you continue to be a follower of Jesus, there is this ongoing pattern. And it's simply this, inward change. Something has to be changing with consistency. I will be very bold to say this. If you are not changing inwardly on a regular basis, I question your relationship with Jesus. Where Jesus is, there is transformation. His name was Nicodemus. We find him in the scriptures. Nicodemus was actually a prominent Pharisee. He was a strict sect of Judaism. He would have been known in that time to be the one who kept every little letter of the law. He dotted every I, crossed every T perfectly according to the written law that was laid out for the Jews. They believed that by doing their works and by adhering to what was written, that they were doing right in the eyes of God. He was also a political member of a political council called the Sanhedrin. In this day and age, it would kind of be like our council for our city. But Nicodemus was one of these guys who had one of these encountering moments with Jesus. And Jesus extends to him a chance. A chance. Look with me here in John 3. John 3, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now I want you to circle that born again. Circle that phrase. but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And there's a lot in this scripture. And just today, just because of time, I don't have a lot of time to break all this down. But at the same time, I don't want to spoon feed you. I want to encourage you to get into the word and study it on your own. But if we take a look at Nick's life, Nicholas goes to Jesus and he basically says, hey, here's the deal, dude. I can see that there's something genuine about you because you are performing these miraculous signs and miracles. And we notice that Nicodemus's response was very open yet kind of cautious because it tells us that he went when? In the afternoon? Morning. In the night. There was a reason for that because if Nicodemus a high-ruling council member of the Sanhedrin as well as a high-authority high, high authority person as in the Pharisees, that would have cost him. And so he's kind of searching this out with Jesus, but here's the thing. Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he says, right, 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 okay, I hear you saying this, but you just said be born again. Now see, in Christianese, we have this term born again. And sometimes I think it just scares the living daylights out of people when you look at people and say, you got to be born again! (laughs) And they have no clue what that means, and then we never explain it. But see, we got to understand what Nicodemus was talking about as well as what Jesus was. Did you understand that there were, considering in the Jewish culture, there was four types of birth to be born again? See, when we hear born again, we automatically think, oh, I give my heart to Jesus. Yay! But that's not the case. This is why Nicodemus was so confused. When you become a young man in the Jewish culture, your first birth or being born again, aside from your mother's womb, is your bar mitzvah, where you now are rebirth and born to become a man. That's your first birth. After that birth comes the second birth, which is when you decide to get married and you marry a woman. That's the second birth. After you have had your bar mitzvah and after you have had your marriage, the third birth is when you choose to become a rabbi or a teacher of the law. After you go through your bar mitzvah and after you get married and then you become a teacher of the law, The fourth birth, which is sometimes rare, is you start your own rabbinic school where you have your own disciples. So see, for Nicodemus, he had already arrived. He already done it all. He already was rebirthed all the way up to where anybody else could be rebirthed. There was no other option for him. So when Jesus says to him, you have to be born again, Nicodemus kind of looks at him and scratches his head and he's like, I have my bar mitzvah. I got married. I'm a rabbi and I have my own skull. So what's up with this guy? But Jesus says to him, let me explain to you this whole process of being born again. See, Jesus tells us, that although he's a teacher of the law, with his own school, and he made the word the centerpiece of his life, it hasn't led him to that place of interchange yet. See, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we can worship our guts out through singing. We can give all we want till our wallet is empty, empty or our checking account has nothing in it. And we can read our Bible every day for two to three hours and pray with the, with the best. But if we don't know Jesus and there's no interchange, we are no different than Nicodemus. See, we can claim to be a follower of Christ and know God, or we can be a follower of Christ and know God. See, we can know God with our language. We can know God with some of our acts. But do we know God inwardly, intimately? So Jesus comes to Nicodemus and he explains this plan of salvation. He says to Nicodemus, let me give you the process of being born again. And he begins to explain to him to say, there is this thing in the world called sin in which Nicodemus would have been aware of. Basically, it means we've missed the mark because we are imperfect. And he says that there is only one that is perfect enough to pay for the debt of missing the mark. And you will only know eternal life. You will only be reborn again through him. Jesus was giving him another chance, And for some of you here today, you're saying, wow, I didn't know that about Jesus. Well, he's giving you another chance. And for those of you who say, I've served God all my life, just like Nicodemus, and I've missed that mark this whole time, he's giving you another chance. This decision that Nicodemus was making would cost him everything because it went against the grain. Now, I won't lie to you. Being a follower of Jesus is not a bed of roses. It's not a field of flowers. It's tough. And it hurts sometimes. And it may cost you. It may cost you your friends. It may cost you your family. It may cost you relationships. It may even cost you your life. but it's the best chance that you'll ever take. I guarantee it. Like Nicodemus, we'll soon realize that knowledge and works don't redeem. How many of you know what redeem means? No one. That's good. I'm glad we are in a church and we study the word and we have no clue what redeem means. Okay, that's great okay. I'm glad I didn't come and ask you what it means. The word redeem means to pay off, to pay in full, to pay off in full for exchange of something else. That's what it means. Look at verse 10 with me. Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. Jesus, And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We know the next verse that comes after that. John 3, what? 16. John three sixteen. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that so whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life and perish have to go hand in hand when it comes to Christ. Because Jesus understands that we will all perish someday. This earthly suit or tent, whatever you desire to call it, will eventually fade away. But where does our spirit go? Some people believe that it just kind of floats out there just kind of figures out where it wants to go, and it just goes. Other people say that you just go to sleep, and that's it, you're done. But the Word of God tells us that it goes somewhere different, one to two places. It either goes to this place called hell, which the world has interpreted as the place that's on fire with a great party, And then there's this other place called heaven where God lives, which the world has interpreted as the mean guy who sits on the throne and throws lightning bolts when you do something wrong. Now, for those who know Jesus, we understand that this place called hell is not an eternal party. Hence the word perish. It is a place of suffering It is a place of pain. It is a place that will continue to kill us over and over and over for eternity. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we understand that this place called heaven where God resides, we understand that he is not a God who just sits on a throne and throws lightning bolts at us when he is angry, but he is a God who loves us, takes care of us. And yes, there are times, as a good father would do, he disciplines us because of the consequences of our sin. But he does it in love. So he says, I'll send my son to redeem those who will perish. It's all of us. That's every single one of us. Turn to somebody and say, he came to redeem you. Let that sit a minute. Just let it settle in you. Whisper it inside of yourself. He came to redeem me. Do you know of anybody else who's ever came to save you with selflessness? I bet you can't think of one person. Sure, we have friends that have saved us or helped us. But has anybody ever walked the face of the earth with a selfless agenda to die for your eternal life. There is only one. See, religion dupes us into living a lifestyle of works and knowledge for obtaining good standing with God. How many of you like to be duped? That's my version of deceived. Yeah, none of you. None of us want to be deceived. We don't get up in the morning and we're excited about being deceived. I hope my boss dupes me today. (laughs) I don't say that. I can't wait for my spouse to deceive me. (laughs) I don't do that. I think I'm going to deceive my teacher today. I don't do that. How many of us come to this building and worship God and get all excited because we're going to be duped? We don't. But religion, religion has this false way of, Of guiding us down this road of deception where we think that our lifestyle of good works and obtaining the right amount of knowledge is what redeems us. And Jesus goes to Nicodemus and he says, listen, man, here's the deal, Nick. You can have all this great knowledge in the world and you can do all these great things, but it's not going to redeem you because you don't know me personally. So, to the followers of Jesus in this room, I'm going to be very bold to say that some of you are probably being duped by religion because you got the right talk and you got the right walk, but you're missing the inward change. You're missing the area of transformation. I always tell people that if you know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, long suffering, perseverance, and all these things. But you also have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So a quick inward check if you're a follower of Christ and maybe you're doubting your salvation. Ask yourself, is there continuous inward transformation in my life? Go to the next question. Is the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life? Next question. Do I depend more on my knowledge of God and my actions than I do on my intimacy with God? If you have marked any one of those and said, that's not clear, that's not clear, oh, wait, yeah, that's clear, you might want to come to know Jesus today. For those of you who are not followers of Christ, Jesus is tired of you being duped. He's tired of you being duped by what the world has to offer you. The endless drug addiction, the endless lifestyle of immorality, the eating disorder that will make you beautiful eventually, according to the world, he's tired of you being duped by that. The endless addiction to alcohol, he's tired of you being duped by that the acceptance that you are yearning for and you're looking for in other avenues. He's tired of you being duped. And today could be your day that he just wants to extend that next chance to you that you've been longing for and yearning for. So Jesus starts to find this storyline of salvation to Nicodemus, but there was a difference Nicodemus had this human-imposed authority. And see, when we have human-imposed authority, there isn't really a lot of transformation that comes with that. There isn't a lot of interchange. But Jesus steps on the scene with this inerrant divine authority, and change begins to occur in Nicodemus's life. And I think this is what we would see going on in the spirit realm at that moment. Watch this with me.
1: God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? Got them in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I don't play games with them. Games? Yeah, I like to play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like, going, caw, 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 like that, you know. And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm-hmm. Usually I feed them with my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. i tell you what. I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah. Let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. They're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. $5. All right. $10. Okay. $20. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got. See you looking at the cage? Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there? Mankind. Found him in the garden funny thing is they put themselves in that cage I had nothing to do with it so what's your plans with them I'm gonna play games with them games what kind of games all kinds of games I'm gonna put games into their life that they think is gonna bring them so much pleasure then I'm gonna turn the world upside down I'm gonna make right seem wrong and wrong seem right and then they'll be damned for all eternity Father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So, I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they've promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross picked up that wooden cross, and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me.
0: So Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, religion's duped you. He says, you know how? Because I can see that you're living in this birdcage of sin and false understanding. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, I want to set you free and I'm willing to pay whatever it would take to set you free. Jesus looks at us today and he says to us, don't be duped. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, don't be duped by religion because some of you have settled into your birdcage. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, he says to you, don't be duped by this other lifestyle that you're wanting to choose that will only be temporary in happiness because you settled into your birdcage. Satan wants to play games with us, but Jesus has come to pay it off. He's come to redeem us. Jesus says that if you want to know me, then you're going to experience interchange. He says, if you want to know me, then you're going to realize that knowledge and all these other things that you have or that you desire aren't going to redeem you. But we must also realize that grace is the catalyst for Jesus' love. Over the years, that topic, that word called grace has become pretty messy in the body of Christ. We can never really find the happy medium. When we hear the word grace, we sometimes complain that, oh, there's not enough grace. And then we complain and we say, oh, there's too much grace. But grace, in essence, is messy. That's just what comes with grace. It's just going to be messy regardless of what we think. If we try to put a handle on grace and we try to box it in, it's not going to happen. Just giving you a heads up. Because God is the one who determines grace where grace is put. Several years ago, when I was not living for Jesus, a bunch of friends and I had gone camping for the weekend. And we had gone camping near my parents' house. So it was pretty easy access, you know. We're pretty hard campers, diehard campers, so if we had to go to the bathroom, we just ran down to my parents' house to go. And then if we were lucky, mom would cook us breakfast in the morning. But we were pretty diehard. At the time, I consumed alcohol pretty heavily on a consistent basis, as well as those that were my friends. And because I was young and irresponsible, I had stolen my parents' cooler. And I figured, hey, they're not using it. They won't notice it's gone. So I used that to put all of my alcoholic beverages in that we were going to supply at the party. So I woke up early that morning realizing that I had to go to a meeting for work early in the morning. I realized I hadn't showered, I smelled like wood smoke, and I was trying to recover, quote-unquote, from a hangover. So in the midst of my immediate rush, what I did is I just picked everything up, threw it in the trunk of my car, including the cooler. I sped down to my parents' house, and without even thinking, I just took the cooler out. I took out my sleeping bag, threw everything out of my car and I jetted off to my meeting. A couple hours later, I come back, realizing I need to go clean up my mess. So I walk in. I don't even think about the cooler. I don't think about the sleeping bag. I just go right into my parents' house, and I make my way to the kitchen. It was a hot summer day. And when you stand in my parents' kitchen, we have this big deck out on the back, on the back. And when you look, there's a window right here next to the sink, and you can see out onto the deck. So I'm pouring my glass of water, and... I look up to take a sip and then I choke because in the sunlight, glistening off the railing all the way around the deck, is Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, Budweiser, Honey Brown, just every form of alcohol that you can imagine just sitting out there on display. So in my panic, I drop my glass in the sink and I bolt out through the back doors not realizing that tucked away in the corner of the deck in a chair was my father. Ever so well, hiding himself with the newspaper where I could not see him. And I get about mid, in the middle of the deck and all of a sudden I hear this from behind the newspaper. Son, you have two choices to make today. Choice number one. We can leave this here until your mother comes home. And we will let you and her work that out. (laughs) Choice two. You and I will go through and empty each bottle. One by one. And you will be the one who empties all of it. Then we will clean up the mess. And we will throw it away. But... You are never allowed to defile our home again like this. Which choice do you think I took? Number two, that day I was extended grace, that undeserved favor. What happened after that, I had to go around, and my dad, I did not understand his scheme of punishment until I was older, But I had to go around and open up every can and every bottle, and I had to pour it out myself. My dad didn't touch anything. I had to get the garbage bags. I had to throw it away. I had to get rid of it. And at first I thought, wow, this is cool. My dad's covering for me. (laughs) He wasn't covering for me. He was extending grace because here's what he did afterwards. Pulled me in close, and he gave me a hug. And he whispered, In my ear, and he said, Because God has given me grace and extended to me chances in those moments that I had no other way out, I will extend this to you this time. But never defile our home again. For those of you who claim to be followers of Christ, grace is not an entitlement to sin. So I'm going to take that little question out of the equation of how much grace will God give me, and I'll just clear it up for you. When we sin, it is kind of like in my situation where we know we've done wrong. We figure later on we'll just clean it up. But there are those moments where God says to us, I know what you did. And he comes along and when we ask for forgiveness and we repent of our sin, he comes along and he gives us this hug and he whispers in us and says, I love you and I'm extending to you this undeserved favor. And then he pulls away and he holds us hands on the shoulders and he looks us in the eyes and he says, but don't defile my house again meaning this, our heart. To those of you who say, I don't know Jesus, but I'm getting and hearing what you're saying. Jesus wants to come inside and clean out your house so it'll no longer be defiled because he loves you. It's not because he's a killjoy. Understand that. It's not because he just sits up there and schemes and walks around. He's like, ooh, how can we punish them today? And how can we take away their fun? He doesn't do that. He loves you, and therefore, because he loves you, he wants what is best for you. Hence, sending his son to the cross to die for you. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not stands condemned already because he has not believed in the the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. As I'm coming to a close in a few minutes, Grace and I have a long history. You have a long history with Grace. We all know Grace pretty well. Everyone wants to be friends with grace because grace comes in those unexpected moments, just like with Nicodemus. In that unexpected moment, Jesus shows up and he extends grace to Nicodemus that one more chance. We don't know if that was Nicodemus' fifth chance, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. We don't know. But what we do know is God's offering us that same grace. Grace. Undeserved favor is what I experienced that morning with my father. And this is what Jesus says in verse 19. I can't get past this. He said, this is the verdict. Now hear this. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, now catch this. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But ever who lives by the truth comes into the light. So, followers of Christ, let me say this. Here's the verdict. Jesus says to us, if you proclaim light, you have no fellowship with darkness. It's pretty clear. See, some of you are probably saying today, now, wait a minute, pastor, are you saying that I can come to church and profess Christ and I can give in the offering and I can sing the songs and I can clap and I can raise my hands and and not be saved? Somebody needs to say it. Yeah, I'm saying that. If you are a follower of Christ and you're claiming to be a child of light but yet you are associating with darkness. Where is your inward change? Jesus says that's the verdict. For those of you who don't know Jesus today or say I've never ever confessed with my my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord of my life, here's the verdict for you. There's another chance that Jesus wants to extend to you. He's already looked past the 10th one, the 15th one, the 20th. And Today he extends to us and says, I want to give you that next chance. For Nicodemus, it cost them, but it was worth it. For you, it will cost you something, but it's worth it. And so I want to leave you with this, especially for the Christ followers. I want to leave you with this, that where is our godly grace? Where is our godly love? And where is our passion for those who do not know Christ? Christ. And the reason I ask that is because, first of all, the world doesn't need another righteous judge because he's already come. And maybe we could do the world a favor and be more attractive like Christ was. And instead of telling everyone what they're doing wrong, we begin to love them. We begin to hold them with compassion And set that example to them. What if we begin to lead with mercy and then give them the truth? Because Christ loved, led with mercy, and gave them the truth. Can we do the world a favor and stop just presenting truth without love and mercy? Because somewhere along the line, when we accepted Christ, we lost the fact that Christ extended the same grace and the same mercy and the same love to
1: us. And then he gave us truth.
0: Please join with me in loving the unexpected leading them with mercy, but still presenting the truth in love and mercy and grace. Would you stand with me? To those of you who consider yourself not a follower of Christ, Jesus wants to be the one to love you and to lead you with mercy and to speak truth into your life. So in just a moment, this is what I'm going to do because I don't want to miss this opportunity. I'm going to ask you to turn to the individual beside you and I'm going to ask that no one moves, no one goes anywhere. I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them this simple question, but it's a life-changing question. Would you like to know Jesus today. That's all you're going to do. And as Pastor Jack says, we're family, which means they're not going to turn to you and ask you this. And when you say yes, they're not just going to like let you be. They're going to walk with you. They're going to come with you. But get this, guys. This could be the chance that Jesus is extending to you. Do you want it or not? And for those of you that I talk to that you say, I'm a follower of Christ, but I realize that I don't know Jesus. This is for you too. But you say, but wait a minute. You know, everyone knows me as a Christian. You know what? Who cares? But what matters is, is that Jesus says, you profess me before man so that I may profess you before my father. All that I would care about is that Jesus is professing me before my father and not before other humans. So I'm just going to ask you right now to turn to those near you and just simply say, would you like to know Jesus today? Just go ahead, turn to somebody and say, would you like to know Jesus today? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is if they said yes, I'm going to ask you to make your way right down here to meet with me. Now you say, but wait a minute, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me you were going to come meet with me. But Jesus tells us this, that if you do not profess Christ before man, he will not profess profess you before his father. So I'm asking you right now, come, come and join me right here. If you said yes, come meet me right here. Just come meet me right here. That's it. Come right on. There you go. Come right down here. Come right, come right to me. Your way down. On, well, there's still time. Don't worry. Because Jesus tells us that it it comes by confession, believing in our mouth and believing in our hearts and declaring that he's Lord of our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer together and you're not going to be the only one. So you're not singled out. All right. We're all here. So we're all going to repeat it together. And this is as simple as it is. It's just believing in your heart and your mind when you pray these words. And I guarantee you, Jesus will answer you. Come on, right over here. Yeah, there we go. Come on. We don't want to miss anyone. So I'm just going to ask that you repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your gift of salvation. Jesus, I thank you for your love that you have for me. Jesus, today, I declare to you that I have sinned. I have missed the mark and I am a sinner. I recognize today and declare that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that you are the one who extends eternal life to me. So Jesus, today I ask for forgiveness of my sins and I repent of my sin. And today I invite you into my heart to take up residence, to be Lord of my life and my Savior in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Now, in this moment, the word tells us that the angels and all of heaven rejoices for when those who come home to the Lord. And so right now there's a celebration going on. That's why we clapped. It wasn't just because, oh, we're over with the service. It was because you came home today to Jesus and he has been yearning for that moment. So now what we're going to do, because we don't, we don't want to make sure, we want to give you some information because there's going to be questions that you have. You're going to say, well, what did I do today? What did I say? We want to answer those questions, but we want to do it where we can have your attention. So for less than five minutes, uh, I'm just going to ask you to follow Jeff right here. He's going to take you into a quiet room. Nothing weird's going to happen. Nothing wacky's going to happen. If you have children, your children are safe. We'll make sure that you get to them, uh, but they're just going to take five minutes with you and just give you some info that you can have. All right. So just go ahead and follow Jeff right up those stairs. And we will take care of you guys. And now let me pray for you guys. Father God, I just thank you so much for the men and women in this congregation. Holy Spirit, I pray that the word of the Lord would sit deep inside of their hearts. I pray that the seed that has been planted today, Lord, will not be snatched up. I pray that it will be protected. Father God, I pray for their protection spiritually, mentally, and emotionally throughout this week. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you will lead and direct them under the unction of the Holy Spirit and keep them safe. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.